how I've always explained it to my clients is conflict is a deeply held care. It's something that I get, I, I am so I care so much about, I'm ready to fight for it. But if I said to you, what is your deeply held care? What is it that is so important to you that you're prepared to fight me on it? And you explained it to me as this is my deeply held care. This is my value. This is something that's important to me. With that shift in perspective, I'd probably be more open to going, oh, okay, would you like to hear mine? This is mine. And let's see how we can come eye to eye with our deeply held cares. That's one of the reasons I think people are scared of courthouses is this misunderstanding of what conflict actually is. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wholehearted Podcast. My name is David Young, and here we focus on wholehearted living through innovation, wellness, and healing. And today's series is about trauma and the law. We're focusing on humans and human systems and how trauma is a hidden actor in our different areas of society. This is a podcast interview with Nicole Coppings-Pavar. She's a former lawyer, a mindfulness meditation teacher, a mediator, and she shares about her experience in the legal system and why people don't like the legal system, how the legal system can be healed. She doesn't say the legal system is broken, she says that it's wounded, and she talks about the healing of the legal system and why understanding trauma is critical for that process. I think you're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. Today I'm here with Nicole Coffin-Pavars. Um, Nicole was a practicing family lawyer and a mediator for 25 years in South Africa and in Canada, and now she advocates for mental health by providing programming that delivers balance and peacemaking processes to individuals, professionals, and corporations who are committed to finding peace in their lives and practice. And I'd say that Nicole is primarily a peacemaker, you know, understanding and enhancing peace from within um, she's a passionate advocate for trauma awareness and responsiveness and being recognized and trauma being recognized as an integral part of any system where emotion arises. She's a trainer and a facilitator in the Attuned Trauma Training Series. And she's also a mentor and a coach to law students, both within Canada and abroad, and is currently an associate professor at the Quinnipiac School of Law and Conscious Contracts and Wellness Clinic. Nicole is also a certified mindfulness instructor and an author, and she presents workshops and trainings on mindfulness, emotional intelligence, conscious communication, and trauma, both locally and internationally. And if you'd like, you can also check her out on the meditation app, Insight Timer. Hi, Nicole. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi, David. Wow. I, I, I sometimes forget what I do, and then I hear that, and it's like, oh, gosh, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's who I am. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been so great getting to know you and your work. And I think maybe just to kind of start us off with why law, what made you decide to get into the legal field at, in, in the first place? Yeah, um, I wish I had an exciting story to tell you that, oh, since I was a little girl, it's all I ever wanted to be. But um, when I was finishing off at school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, there was this, this woman, everyone used to go to, she was an astrologer. And uh, I said to my mom, 
maybe her name was Sharon Eisenhank and I was like maybe Sharon Eisenhank can tell me what I want to do when I finish school you know and so my mom said okay well let's go to the astrologer and off we went to the astrologer and Sharon told me three things she told me I could be um, my stars tell me that I could be um, in banking I can I can barely manage my own bank account so I don't I don't think that was <laughs> I think the stars weren't completely aligned on that one a librarian um, I hate filing of any sort so putting books in their right order and and alphabetical not not me and then she said uh, law she said uh, law is quite prominent in your chart and in fact it, you've been you've been a judge before and uh this this is probably the avenue that you need to take I was like okay well there's nothing else that I want to do so let's let's just do that and got inside that was sort of my foray into why I became a lawyer but then as I was studying law um I realized that I really wanted to make a change in this world and I wanted to make a difference. And something quite strange happened to me. Uh, my parents are divorced and uh, I went with my mom one day to court um, and I, I walked into the hallway and I don't know if you've ever had an experience, but it was such a deja vu experience of I've been here before. I know where I am and this is my home. And it was so um, it was like a, I don't want to say a spiritual awakening because I, but it was just so, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. And it was, that for me was the moment, okay, this is, law is actually where you are. And I feel very comfortable in courthouses. There's just something about them that just makes me feel very comfortable. Wow. Wow. What do you think people misunderstand about being in the courthouse? Um. You know what? The courthouse is a very, um, the energy of a courthouse is very stressful. No one wants to go to court. No one wants to be in, in a courthouse. Um, so I think there's already this preconceived negativity of being in a courthouse. And I actually think that stems from a preconceived misunderstanding of what conflict actually is. And so we think that conflict is the home, that the courthouse is the home of conflict. Um, and so it must be bad. Um, but in my mind, conflict is actually very useful very necessary and uh, can be actually a very um, important tool in our own personal growth and self-development um, because if we didn't have conflict everything would just be flat there would be no ups no downs no growth so all conflict is is saying something is wrong and in communication and in relationships there's something that you're not understanding about me and I'm not understanding about you let's see if we can fix it and let's see if we can evolve and change and, and, and do stuff. So if um, the law wouldn't be made if uh, there wasn't conflict and there was a reason for something to change. And when we, for my, in my mind, when you see conflict as going, oh, this is an, an opportunity for growth, it doesn't mean I'm fighting. Conflict is um, in how it's viewed generally, I think in the public eye, conflict is, um, a reactive consequence of what the initial seed of change actually was meant to be. So I think when we view conflict as it's just how I've always explained it to my clients is conflict is a deeply held care. It's something that I, I, I am so 
care so much about, I'm ready to fight for it. But if I say to you, what is your deeply held care? What is it that is so important to you that you prepare to fight me on it? And you explained it to me as this is my deeply held care. This is my value. This is something that's important to me. With that shift in perspective, I'd probably be more open to go, oh, okay, would you like to hear mine? This is mine. And let's see how we can come eye to eye with our deeply held cares. That's one of the reasons I think people are scared of courthouses is this misunderstanding of what conflict actually is. And also understanding that judges aren't there usually to make things worse. Judges are there to... Um, for the most part, before you actually get to a trial, which is the very, very end of a whole process of fighting, a judge is actually trying to get you, trying to listen to all the options and all the perspectives and say, what do you think about? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? It's when everybody is so closed off that you have to go to trial and the judge has to make an order. And then you're hoping this will be my day in court. This is when the whole world will know exactly what I've been through. And now you, you, you standing on your principles and principles are very, very um, expensive. And you will never get your day in court because what you think your day in court is, is actually not what the court can provide. So I think that's why people are scared of courthouses. I've never really thought about it before, but I think that's why people are scared of courthouses. They think all their, all their problems will be resolved in the courthouse one. And it's just full of conflict. I mean, no one goes to a courthouse for fun. Just to say, <laughs> I think I'll go, you know what, I don't know what to do today. I, I want some quiet space. I think I'll go sit in the courthouse and do my work. It's like, that's not <laughs> a place that one would do it. So um, that was a very long answer to a very short question. I think it's beautiful, especially just like, even the perspective on conflict. It sounds like it's almost like the seed of understanding and the seed of resolution. And it sounds like a very empowering way to view conflict and that the courthouse is kind of like the place where that can be held. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when you think of a courthouse and, and I, I cannot, I haven't researched this. This is just my own fundamental belief, but I believe that uh, how lawyers came about was thousands of years ago in the villages, if somebody had a problem with their neighbor and they had to go speak to the wise man or the, the, the chief or the whoever it was, you know, to resolve the problem. Um, but they couldn't speak really well and they fumbled over their words and they couldn't get the story out right. They might go to their friend and say, listen, you speak really well and you don't seem scared. Can I tell you my story? And can you go tell the chief my story? And so that, that they can understand. And then um, that's how I think lawyers came into being. They were just storytellers. Mm. But a, a correct perspective to the chief or the, the head of the village. Um, and, you know, it, they were just advocating. They were, they were sharing on behalf of. Um, and then I think law school came and said, no, I think this is about fighting and who's better. And, and the, whole, the whole system got, got screwed up. Um, but for me, an initial courthouse would be where you just want somebody to help see the truth of your situation. Perhaps there's somebody who can advocate for you. And this conflict that you've got doesn't have to be um, filled with fighting and zealous advocacy. It can just be, let me hear a story. Let's see how we can resolve it. Wow. Wow, yeah. And it's so curious then. It sounds like 
when you mentioned that things kind of changed and it became more about fighting and less about resolving and that even maybe like the purpose of lawyers also changed in that process too, not just becoming storytellers, but becoming fighters in a certain way. And I'm curious, you know, our series is really about trauma and the law. And I'm, and you seem like someone who started to notice that something was off inside the legal system. And I'm curious about, I don't know if there's a moment or like a kind of a budding awareness that something was off, but I'm like, when did you start to notice that there's something missing or there's something off? Yeah. So, I mean, I was a family law lawyer. Um, and so, as you can imagine, there is a lot of um, unhappiness and misery and fear uh, in, in family law. Uh, and so I, I always used to just try and, and find out where my clients uh, were emotionally when they were talking to me so that when I was talking to them, I was connecting with the correct emotion. Because if I was connecting with anger or I was connecting with fear, um, their thought process was, was based in that emotion. So it was very important for me to always understand the background story and get them to a very balanced place when, when I was talking to them. Um, so, and, and I realized in, in the family law system that it is so um, steeped in trauma. The trauma exists in every nook and cranny. If, if it's not fear of going to the courtroom and what the whole family law system and that fighting litigious system that's traumatic in itself but what if you came from your own family trauma what if you came from a whole um if your parents got divorced and it was traumatic your your brain only knows one type of way to deal with separation and divorce and that's fighting um so I started seeing that um, people's stories and backgrounds were heavily impacting their own uh, separation and divorce process. Uh, and that really, really got me curious. Um, and then I started doing work in uh, with children in high conflict divorce and separations, um, as well as when they were apprehended uh, by the children's aid. And I really started seeing that trauma was everywhere in, in everybody's story. But there was one really very powerful incident that happened to me that just made me say enough is enough. Something, something has to be done about this. Uh, and I was already um, teaching mindfulness and I already had my mindfulness practice on the side, um, but I, it was during COVID and um, it was a file where, uh, and unfortunately it was, a, it was in Zoom, it was in Zoom court. And um, on this particular file, it was a child protection file. I was representing a sweet little beautiful girl. She was uh, six years old and her mom and grandma didn't get on at all. There was a, the mother had a lot of trauma that uh, she believes was brought on by her mother, so the grandmother. Um, and she had no way to go and she separated from her husband. And so she was living with the grandmother. So she was now in the home that was in the, in the home and with the person who triggered her constantly fighting for her little girl because they wanted either the grandmother to keep the, um, the, the, the child, but they didn't believe that this woman was capable of, of keeping her, her daughter. And um, I remember being in the courtroom, the Zoom courtroom, and this woman kept saying, I feel like I'm being triggered. I'm being triggered. 
and no one was listening to her. And she was very clearly saying, I can't cope with what is happening in this moment. And she kept saying, I'm being triggered, I'm being triggered. And everyone's just continuing with the core process. And, and when you're in Zoom court, you're staring at a screen and there were, I mean, there was the judge, there was me, there was her, there was the grandmother, there was the lawyer, there was a social worker. There were eight people in the courtroom. So there were eight screens. So can you imagine when you're saying I'm being triggered, I'm being triggered, and there are just eight people staring at you um, and no one's listening to you because everyone just wants to get through the, the, the court case. And all of a sudden she threw her phone on the floor and she stopped. You could just see her pacing up and down and she was swearing and she was in such distress. Um, and I have to say the judge did an amazing job trying to calm her down, but the judge was saying, let's take a break. We can come back in 10 minutes. What do you need from us? But she couldn't hear what the judge was saying. She was going, I'm not coming back. If I turn off this phone, I'm never coming back. You can take my child. I don't care. And she was in such distress. And I remember just thinking if I could have jumped into that screen and just held her and hugged her or just connected with her and said I see you what's happening where 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 you know and, and sort of just brought I, I didn't even know the trauma process like I didn't even know about um any of the beautiful things that you teach but I'm thinking this is not healthy like this is not good and why isn't anybody doing something and that's when I realized the court system needs to change the court system has to bring trauma in at its very very basis the courtrooms the courthouses the judges anyone who's in a court system has to understand trauma at its very basic level because if you think you're healing if you don't understand what's happening you are probably harming more than you would like to and if you don't understand your own biases and your own triggers and your own stories that are being affected by someone in front of you how can you be your best self? And that for me was when it was like, we need to, we need to make a change. The trauma has to be part of the legal system as a mandatory, mandatory uh, class. Wow. That's how they, I mean, the story is really moving and to hear even your own response and the judge's response is also really moving. And it sounds like there's so much trauma for clients in the legal system and that the way that the system responds to that trauma is deeply misattuned mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's very misattuned and even you know david i used to say that the legal system is broken mm -hmm. uh, i've changed my mind now i don't say the legal system is broken i say the legal system is wounded mm. i kind of feel when you when something's broken it's very easy to discard it i and see and when we discard something, there are parts of it that are still work perfectly. There's just parts of it that doesn't work. And so for me, it's like, I don't think the legal system is broken. I think there are parts of the legal system that function really, really well. There are people within the legal system that function really, really well, but there are parts of it that are wounded. And when you poke something that is wounded, it's going to have a retaliatory effect. Hurt people hurt. So for me, it is, let's talk about the legal system as a wounded system, not mm. a broken system. And I also realized I had to re reshape my words because lawyers get very triggered when you say the legal system is broken. 
because a lot of them think, oh, so you're saying we're broken. Are you saying we broke the system? Are you saying we're doing something wrong? Yeah, I am. But they don't like to hear that. So it's easier to say it's wounded because when it's wounded, it almost puts uh, uh, someone in a, a, a more open position to say, oh, I don't want anybody to be wounded. Uh, how can I help? Mm. And for me, it's about evolving the legal system. We don't have to revolutionize it. We just have to evolve it. Take what works and then evolve and make it grow and, and get better. Yeah, I love that shift that the legal system isn't broken, that it's wounded. And it sounds like it doesn't just sound better, it's easier to listen to. It also sounds like it feels more accurate for you now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and it also sounds like it implies that healing is possible when something is wounded, when something is broken, it's like, I don't know if we can fix it or should we just throw it away? And it also kind of objectifies it, like makes it an it versus uh, it's wounded. Yeah. Like this is a living thing that needs to heal. Yeah. yeah. The legal system is a living thing. I know that sounds crazy, but it's a living thing because there are beings in the system who are wounded, who are evolving, who are doing, like it's a breathing system. We've got people breathing inside the system. So those are the people that we have to work with and help and evolve. Uh, I'm curious when what are some of the ways that you see that can happen how evol evolution can happen how healing can happen in the legal system or just with some of the different beings in the legal system what does that look like is it kind of top down bottom up sideways um, or something different altogether that is such a great question so how does it work I first of all believe in the trickle down effect of, of any hierarchical system um, I, I believe that uh, judges have to role model to lawyers, lawyers role model to their clients, clients role model to their children when dealing with conflict. So if judges aren't going to role model conflict correctly to people in the court, to lawyers in the courthouse, um, they could just exacerbate whatever the conflict is. So I really believe that judges have to understand trauma and understand compassion. Um, and then I also believe in it comes from the bottom up. So it has to come from new law students. So uh, law students and law schools have to start training differently. Um, and that it shouldn't be this very litigious adversarial win-win, um, I mean, win-lose situation. Um, because law schools, statistics show that um, law school actually changes the brain Oh, there's mm. a fantastic um, article called um, Killing Them Softly, how law school, oh, I'll think of the, the uh, but it's called Killing Them Softly, um, pretty much how law school changes the brain of, of a law student. So what it does is that it increases IQ, but it lowers EQ um, because you are told to emotionally cut off when you are going to law school. Emotions aren't needed or required in the law, which is, so ridiculous so i think we need a new brand a new a new um we need new lawyers coming out who are um integrated so they'll they integrate spirituality they integrate emotional intelligence they integrate um all of these things so that we can have a whole functioning system so hopefully if we've got judges at the top and we've got 
um, new lawyers at the bottom, hopefully eventually we, they can they can emerge. And then the, the, the people in between are either going to get it or they're out. Or they aren't. You know, um, but I kind of, where we are now with the people and the lawyers that we are now, um, the only ones who are getting are the ones who are burnt out and say, I, I can't do this anymore. Mm. So I, it's a bottom up sort of top down approach that I think is necessary. Um, and law schools are actually coming around. Uh, they are actually seeing how destructive law school has been. So there are many law schools now who are bringing wellness into uh, and I can only speak for law schools. It could be other uh, universities and, and, and programs. So I only know law schools. Um, but there are really, they've, they've got guidelines now, uh, international guidelines they're working on now to bring wellness and well-being um, into, into training. So then also to bring trauma training into law schools, to bring conscious contracts. So, so different ways of thinking about contracts. So um, there, there are definitely... Um, waves happening um, and so for me I also believe in changing the legal narrative we have to stop using um, terms and words that are litigious people are people they shouldn't be you know when we, you're in court documents don't refer to somebody as the applicant and the respondent they're people humanize people humanize people in the courtroom humanize the experience in the courtroom use words that people understand make the language because you know when, when when judges write orders who are they writing it for they're writing it for me and you they're writing it for people who have to abide by them and yet it seems to me that they write these orders for an appeal court and for the lawyers to put in a to put in a law journal no one understands that and yet it's my life you a judge is telling me is ordering me how to be in my life and i can't understand the order why why we have to understand who our audience is in the legal system and unfortunately the legal system thinks the audience are judges and other lawyers and they forget that it's actually the people who are coming in that are that's the audience we've forgotten who the audience is we've forgotten who the consumer is and sort of that's where i think the changes have to take place mm, wow it's so interesting when you talk about the audience or the consumer and I think the legal system is actually in charge of like their own customer satisfaction product. And that feels like already a big shift just to think of it that way, that they're actually providing a service. Imagine if, imagine if the legal profession was, uh, uh, was a store. Like, what do you think the customer reviews would be? Like, no one would go back to that store. Like, <laughs> like, like, like we've got this really, really bad reputation but we're in demand, but a customer service is terrible. Wow. Yeah. And so it sounds like with this top down trick or this top trickle down and also this bottom up with new legal students, it sounds like you're kind of playing the long game, Nicole. I'm playing sorry, the what? The long game. Cause this sounds like it's like yeah. system change takes time. And you're really thinking like, it sounds like generations of new law students and also working with current judges and, attorneys i you know that it is it is the long game as much as i want to see the results and the rewards of it now um there's that beautiful saying um i'll screw it up but it, it was uh, a great teacher or a great leader is one who says um i'll plant the tree even if i know i may, may never sit under the shadow of the tree wow 
And for me, that I feel that's what it is. I, I'm going to plant as many seeds and nurture as much as I can. Just knowing that in 200 years or 100 years or 75 years, there's going to be the shade of that tree and a change, even if uh -huh. I don't experience it for myself. Uh -huh. And knowing what you know now and doing the kind of advocacy work you're doing for the legal industry, I'm curious what you would have told yourself uh, back then when you first realized you wanted to be a lawyer? Well, when I first wanted to be a lawyer, um, I really, I was so naive and I was so innocent. And I really thought I would be that white knight that goes on the, is it a white knight and also is it a, is it a knight on a white horse? I don't know what it is, but you know, if you, you got the idea, it would be this person on a, on a horse, you know, with the going in and, 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 and helping the innocent and being the savior. Um, and that's really what I believed. I would go in and I would help people. And, and then I became a lawyer and um, it was so different. Um, and it, I was so young and so I was too scared to um, practice the way that my heart was telling me to practice, you know, so I just followed what everybody else was doing and uh, strayed a little bit from my values. I, I, I always say I feel like I sold my soul to the devil because I knew that's not how I wanted to be. I knew that there was a different way of practicing, but I was only 24, 25 and, and who, who am I to say this doesn't feel right. This doesn't seem right. So I just did, uh, you know, what everybody else did and I was good. Uh, but I was so disillusioned and I could, I could, I could feel myself straying away from my inner compass. And so that's why when we emigrated, I said to my husband, I don't want to be a lawyer ever again. Like I'm done. I, I don't want to be a lawyer. Um, and I think that's the problem with so many lawyers is they stray from their inner compass and from their values. And um, they have this dissonance inside of them where they now have to be a certain way and they, they can't stray from that. And yet there's this incitement going, but that's not who I am. That's, this isn't why I became a lawyer. Um, and so for me, um, you know, I'm lucky that I, I, I've got this different perspective but I, I think I would have I'd just always tell my younger self to remember who she is and to never stray from the values um, and I was lucky that that life allowed me to recorrect myself recorrect mm -hmm. not recorrect to correct myself um, so that when I did become a lawyer again in in Canada um, I made a commitment to myself that I was gonna, I was gonna reclaim my soul back, and I was gonna practice law, true to who I was and true to my inner compass, um, and that's why I loved every single day of being a lawyer, because I went, I came back to my values, I came back to my inner compass, and I think that's what I would tell any lawyer, and it's what I would tell my young self as well, is just know who you are and don't stray from that. Just hmm. Should be your own compass always. Wow. I'm curious, knowing what you know now about the legal system, what you would tell to just average people who are going to be, say, they're going to court or they're going to have to interact with that system. How can they better equip themselves or prepare themselves for that yeah. process? Um, unfortunately, people don't always listen, but you know, because... Um, what I tell people is court should always be your very last option. Mm. 
very last option. And there are so many options out there that doesn't involve going to court. So see what there are, see what aligns with the values of your family. Like I'm always going back to values. You have to know what are the values that you teach your children? Because if you teach your children those values, then when you're in conflict, conflict and go through separation, show them those values, how you work with those values. Don't go the opposite. Don't tell your child to be honest and not fight with their friends and then go and say, your father's an idiot and I'm going to take him to court because I hate him. You stray from your values. So understand what your values are um, and then find other court processes, other sort of, uh, it's not court processes, other uh, alternative dispute resolution processes that are outside of there. Um, and have a team helping you. You can't always do this alone. So have a team helping you that can really guide you because you're going to have those moments. You know, when you go through a separation, it's like if I told you, David, that you have to go to Australia and back two times. So you're going to go from where you are on a flight to Australia, land, come back home, land, go back to Australia, land and come back home and you cannot sleep. Then when you come home after the, the two return flights, I'm going to ask you to make the biggest decision in your life about your children. And then I'm going to have a, 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 a clock to uh. People feel very often when they're going through a separation. They are exhausted. They feel like they have tr traveled backwards and forwards. They're emotionally drained. They don't know which foot to put in front of the other sometimes. And then they're always going, so what do you think? What do you want me to say? I need your instructions. Tell me tomorrow because I have to write. You can't do it. So mm. you need to also understand your internal conflict. You need to understand what's happening inside of you. You need to have, you have to give your lawyer your expectations of them as well and tell your lawyers what, your ex what you can and cannot do. I cannot respond to something in 24 hours. You know, and I think that's what I would I would tell people going through a system. You've got an organizational manual of me. You this this is me. This is how I do stuff. If you're not good at text messages, say to your your lawyer, you know, I uh, I don't do well with text messages, or you know, you you have to let people understand who you are and who you are when you're very stressed, because you are your lawyer is dealing with you at your worst, at the worst time of your life. Mm. So you need to give yourself grace. Um, I don't know. There's just so many things that I could answer with that, that people don't know and don't understand. Um, it's no one chooses to go through a separation by choice. And somehow you land there and there's no manual. And the only manuals that are there are lawyers. You know, people think, oh, you have to get, you have to get a, a bulldog in court tenacious that they'll never let go and, and so often that's not who we are as people most of us are so conflict averse that when we're in conflict it doesn't sit well with us because that's not who we are and now we're being told to fight and to be vicious and it just doesn't sit well with us so again just coming back to your values choose a lawyer i always say this i would tell my clients you need a lawyer shop don't just choose me speak to three or four other lawyers you have to find a lawyer who you resonate with 
It's not going to bully you. It's not going to make you feel ignorant. You really have to, your lawyer knows you, is dealing with you at your worst, at your worst time. You have to really make sure that you connect with your lawyer on a, um, a very personal level. Um, yeah, I, I've got, I go on tangents. So I hope I've answered the question. Yeah, no, it's very insightful. I think just the idea that they can have agency, because I think oftentimes when someone's going to a lawyer, they're wanting instructions about what to do. And it sounds like you're saying it's also the other way around. Like, this is how I'm going to be and how it's going to look. And this is what I'm like when I'm very stressed. Yeah. And, and I'm curious on the other end, like on the other side of the table, what could lawyers do differently to work with people who are going through the most difficult time, most stressful time of their lives? Well, you know what I'm going to say, I think, but I think having a, a mindfulness practice, uh, you know, the, the thing is, if you can't deal with your own inner conflict, um, you're going to respond and react very, very differently to the outside conflict of the world. But the outside conflict of the world, it's just stuff that's happening. It's not out to get you. It's just stuff that's happening. Someone sent you an email. Someone, you know, has got a, a an application to court. Someone stopped in traffic and didn't break. That just things that happen. But it's our response to them that causes the pain inside of us. Mm. So, um, so even with lawyers, it's like understand your own internal conflict because if you are, are angry all the time and you don't know that you're angry all the time, how are you being your best for your clients? So it's really understanding, having, having moments of, you know, this huge imposter syndrome within the legal profession. Mm. Lawyers are so scared. If my client thinks I don't know something, I'm going to lose my clients. If I lose my clients, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, I'm going to lose my house. If I lose my house, I'm going to lose my children. If I lose my children, I'm going to be homeless. You know, this whole, like, um, and, and it's, 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 we have to know how to stop the stories. We have to know when it's just a story, when it's our ego talking. And when, you know, I always say that our ego is so loud and so bossy and so um, destructive that our wisdom and our inner sage lives inside all of us. But mm -hmm. it doesn't argue with the fool and it doesn't argue with the ego. It says, when you want to listen to me quietly, come pay me a visit. I'm here for you. And I'm not going to scream and not going to shout, but let's just let's just have a, a nice, I'm waiting for you. You know, um, and I always say listen and silent have got the same letters. And there's a reason that listen and silent have the same letters, because you can only truly listen when you're silent. And when you're silent is when you can actually listen to what your inner sage is telling you. So that's kind of what I, I, I tell lawyers is having a mindfulness practice doesn't mean that you're going to lose your edge. Having a mindfulness practice means that you're actually going to open up your entire world to perspective and objectivity that you may not have had before because you were so closed and guarded. Um, so that, that's kind of what I what I tell lawyers. Um, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And how, how is it being received? I know that you're in teaching I, mindfulness to lawyers. What's that like? Yeah, you know, it is beautifully, beautifully received in that lawyers say, this is fantastic. What you're doing is wonderful. 
but not for me. But boy, can I tell you how many lawyers need your services? You know, <laughs> and so that that's really the problem that I have with lawyers. They want it. Lawyers also want a quick fix. They want it now. We don't have time for this to be a long thing. Tell me what I have to do now. Let me fix it. And and that's good. If it's going to take more than, than, than three minutes, I don't have time. I've got clients coming in. You know, so lawyers want a quick fix. Um, and lawyers talk the talk, but I find they're not prepared to walk the walk. They want other lawyers to walk the walk. They want other lawyers to better themselves. Um, and so it's, uh, I speak only from my own experience. They're a tough crowd. They're mm. a tough Oh. Yeah, it's so insightful to hear that just like the different perspectives. And I love listen and silent having the same letters and the inner sage. And it really just it's amazing that to have on one end the legal professional background that you have and also a professional mindfulness meditation teacher. And it really sounds like it enhances your entire practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, for me, mindfulness was um not just a lifesaver, but a game changer. It really was a game changer for me um, because it really allows me really to have compassion, like true compassion. Um, and, you know, just because you, um, uh, you, you've got a strong mindfulness practice or you teach mindfulness, it doesn't mean that you're calm and insightful and, and wise and nothing affects you. I mean, people have this idea, no, you feel feelings very intensely. I would say when you've got a mind, mindfulness practice, in fact, you feel feelings far more intensely than you than than those who don't have a mindfulness practice. Mm. So you you yes, I still get angry, and yes, all of these you know emotions might over, overwhelm me, but I'm able to notice when it's happening, and in that noticing, I have a choice, and that's the difference. Mm. That's Wow. Yeah, it's been amazing to to hear. And it sounds like it just gives like a window of choice. And it also sounds like when that window of noticing isn't there, there isn't much choice. There's just reaction happening. Yeah, and, and let's I get angry. Like I say things sometimes that I don't mean, but what mindfulness also teaches us is that there's this we call it the AFL code. Ajahn Brahm came up with it. It means acknowledge, forgive, learn. So when you've acknowledged that maybe you've had an angry outburst or you've behaved in a way that you don't like, first forgive yourself, then go to that person, apologize to them, and then learn from that experience. Mm. I don't want to be next time. So when this happens, I don't go back to that person that just made, I, I felt shameful of the way that I reacted. And I don't want to go back to that feeling again. So what have I learned from this experience? Um, and not not being afraid to apologize and just say, yeah, I sucked in this situation. I like really went off the handle and I'm I am so sorry for that. I'm I feel terrible that I did that and I'm, I hope that I won't do it again. You know, people will accept that. Wow. People will accept that. And for me, that's that's what mindfulness allows me to do. It, it allows me to be humble. It allows me to um, accept when I've done wrong. Um, and to sometimes have compassion on myself as well. We so often 
just don't have compassion for the crappy things that we did and for ourselves and we beat ourselves up about it you know hug ourselves and say hey you made a mistake and that really was not good that was not you in your best moment wow it sounds like it really like humanizes ourselves we have to we have to and unless you uh um a you know you you the buddha or you are a once returner or something like that we are just humans having human experiences all the time but every moment is 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 a moment just to acknowledge if you've done something wrong okay how am i going to do better and and again what mindfulness teaches us is if there's one thing we've learned from our mindfulness is that we don't contribute to any negative um, behavior or situation. We either leave it exactly as it was when we found it, or we make it better. But we do not contribute to it to make it any worse. And mm-hmm. for me, that's that's my small lofty goal every day. Is I don't want to ever make I either want to make good situations make good situations even better or if if I can't do that leave a situation as it is until I'm able to improve upon it or walk away from it but I will not contribute to negativity and I think that is such that should be a guiding rule for any lawyer who's not a a family law file don't make the situation worse that's a great guidance um I'm curious um Sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't, but I'm curious, is there a question that you wish people would ask you? Wow. Well, which people? Uh, I guess maybe is there a question that you wish I would ask you? Wow. Okay, let me just let me just contemplate on this a bit. I think the question is just why. Yeah. Why, Nicole? Why? Why? Because I think we all have a responsibility as as individuals and human beings to make this world a more compassionate and kinder place. However we go about doing it. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Nicole, I want to acknowledge you. Um, I want to acknowledge you for your insight and for your wisdom and also for like kind of how alive you are. Um, Just the way that you speak, the way that you move. It's like you're very much like here, current, present, alive. And it's exciting to hear the way that you are and the way that you're being and how vulnerable you are at the same time. And uh, also want to acknowledge the bravery and courage and to be able to play that in a long game. When you said like planting a tree that you may never sit under and receive its shade, there's something kind of like tearful and I feel like almost proud to know you when you speak like that and when I hear that part of you. And, uh, and I want to acknowledge your compassion. So thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you, David. And it's just been a joy getting to know you and spend time with you and um, connect with you on a very soul level. Um, Like truly, I believe uh, 
the moment I met you, I laid eyes on you and I don't know, it was a meditation, I think, um, you know, um, my soul remembered you. Mm. And there's a beautiful saying that says, the word remember is just to re our souls remember ourselves back into community. So um, I, I remember you. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, I feel similarly. And it's, it's been amazing to kind of meet you and feel like similar callings in the world as I feel like on a kind of a journey of healing trauma and collective trauma in all different systems to be able to bring this into the legal system and to meet you and to join with you has been such a privilege. Thank you. Of course. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to, to be with you on, on your podcast. It, it was a privilege and I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you. Yeah, thank you. Where can people follow you if they want to find out more about your work and what you're doing? So uh, my website is www.lotus-law.com. Um, I also have a little book. I have. To, I was working from it today, actually. I, I have a book that's available on Amazon as well. So Insights for Everyday Mindfulness, you can find that on Amazon. Um, and then on Instagram, I have... Um, my handle is that the right word is called uh law of the lotus so um and then i'm on linkedin as well so uh, i've got a very long name but uh, type that in and i'll i'll come up because it's a very unique one well excellent thanks so much nicole and then um i'll leave a link for the training that we're going to be doing together called attuned where people can come and learn more about our collaboration so absolutely yeah it's amazing to speak with you. Um, looking forward to having you back sometime and hearing more of your wisdom and insights and your humor. And uh, just thank you for being here today. Thank you, David. Okay, thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you're interested in learning more about Nicole, you can check out her website at lotuslaw.com. And if you're interested in our collaboration, you can check out the Attuned Training, that's Attuned Becoming Trauma-Informed and Trauma-Responsive in Professional Settings, and it's really learning how to bring the practice and skill of attunement at an organizational level, at an interpersonal level, and in professional settings. You can find out more about that at beingwholehearted.com. Thank you very much, and we wish you a wholehearted day.